Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, welcome and thanks for listening. This show is very, very simple. Either me, the guest, or both of us are going to talk about a first-time experience, and most of the time, it's going to be a movie. Now, this one is one of the rare occurrences where it's a first time for both of us. Um, My guest tonight is the co-host of the I Like It Spooky podcast. You know him, you love him. The first episode is available everywhere right now. Brian Godzill, welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, um, I found out that you started your own podcast through the grapevine. I mean, you did you did message me and tell me you were uh, starting one. And I thought, well, then I better get him back on the show to promote it so people know it's out there. Because um, as of recording this, you have one episode out now and it's on Halloween Kills. Um, so what sort of inspired you to jump on and start your own podcast? Well, I think, oh, has it been three, four years ago I started listening to uh... Attack of the Killer podcast, which is another podcast that you're on, um, and I've become friends with you guys. You know, went from like a fanboy, uh, maybe not that bad, but you know, <laughs> become friends with you guys, and you know, got all the extra perks, having a dinner invite to your birthday party, which is always a great time. Um, and I guessed uh, on yours about been last Halloween, yeah, yeah. it'd been about a year ago, yeah, a little over a year ago. And uh, just had a great time and, you know, falling in love with podcasting and um, the horror community and movies and just thought it'd be something fun to jump on and uh, get into the game a little bit. Well, tell people a little bit about I Like It Spooky. I've listened to the first episode. I thought it was a lot of fun hearing you and your friends bounce back and forth. It seems like uh, you guys know each other pretty well. So it's like being in the room with uh, with you guys. So we were actually in a room together. We did our first two together in a room. Um, I have three po- uh, three podcast co-hosts with me. Um, I have Jason, who I've been friends with since high school. And then uh, Lewis and his girlfriend, I think it's his wife, Jocelyn. Um, we actually met them two or three years ago at the Roz Talks in Moline. Um, Midwest Monster Fest was doing a movie night um, where they pre-COVID, announced some people for the um, Midwest Monster Fest that got put on hold because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Talked to them. They came back for Midwest Monster Fest this year, and we just got to talking to them, uh, found some common ground in our love for movies, and I've had this podcast kind of under my radar for a while. I wanted to start it and just finding the right people and the time and um, the people with the passion to do it. So where, I, where are they from, the other two? Uh, they're up by Chicago, one oh, of the cool. little suburbs um, far out in the north of Chicago. But they're actually talking about moving towards Moline, get away from the city. Um, and they come down, they've been down to the Quad Cities, God, it seems like every week or every other weekend for the last couple months. You know, they were Midwest Monster Fest, they were a Halloween of Palooza, they were just at a movie night at the Rostocks again this past weekend. Um, so the first podcast we recorded in a room on one microphone, the first and the second. Mm-hmm. Um, we all went and seen Halloween Kills that night, went back the next day and recorded. So, Yeah, it was a fun episode, and it doesn't really surprise me that you started one. I think um, same same sort of thing happened to me. I just listened to so many podcasts. I thought, well, I want to do this now it, because I end up talking to um, the podcast I'm listening to anyway, so I might as well record it and do my own. 
but uh it's really cool like that's just sort of a prime example of the horror community you know you meet these people at a horror event that you never knew before and here you are two two podcasts in the can with them already oh yeah and i mean my son jack you've met him Mm -hmm. we'll go to pod we'll go to not podcasts we'll go to conventions and he'd be like can we go look at stuff? All you've done since we've been here is talk to these people. How do you know all these people? Like, you know, and he just gets, Tori wants to buy stuff and look at stuff and look at artwork and stuff. And I'm standing there talking to everybody. And he's like, come on, let's go do something. Well, it's, a, it's like, I mean, especially like Halloween Palooza, Midwest Monster Fest. Mm-hmm. They're like uh, big family reunions for all of us. Um, I mean, luckily, I get to see you. You're only like 45 minutes away from me. It's not bad. We see each other quite often. But, uh, you know, like Andy, we get to see once a year. Um, and then I have friends, you know, that I don't get to see even in especially after having a whole year off from everything. Uh, it was just great to have everybody back in the same room again. So close to each other, too, with with Halloween Palooza and Midwest Monster Fest, like, one after another. is just sort of an awesome, like, one-two. And this is, I think, Halloween-a-Palooza was the first time I ever met Andy. Well, I've talked to Andy. I've messaged him. He's on, you know, some chats with us. Oh, yeah. We've exchanged, you know, I've sent him Masters of the Universe stuff. He sent me <laughs> scary movie stuff. We've mailed movies. But that's the first time I've ever met him. And Brian Clark, the same thing. I mean, we... You know, he was a guest on the lot, the podcast we did before. Yep. I've never met Brian. I mean, I take pictures of my three-year-old's Godzilla shirts <laughs> and send them to him. You know, I ask him questions about Godzilla that I, I mean, it's just easier to ask him than look anything up. Yep. Go and straight I think to the source. Yeah. And he, jo- I believe he enjoys being asked about those kind of things. Of course he does. Yeah. I mean. Uh, I had that humongous long episode on uh, Godzilla vs. Mothra with him and and my other friend, Michael. Uh, But yeah, it's just it's weird how the horror community is like a giant, awesome family. You'd never expect it from people who love watching other people get murdered. But uh, it's it's cool. And I just love seeing that you have a podcast now. And and I like I said, the first episode, I really enjoyed Halloween Kills. Um, I just did a Halloween Kills episode. I know Mm -hmm. the Brett and Tony guys did it. It's one of those movies that sort of uh, splitting people right down the middle. So I I was not surprised that was your first episode. But um, I was uh, excited to hear everyone. Uh, in your group, there are different perspectives of it. Uh, because like I said, everybody in my group was sort of split on it too. Um, and, and we won't get on Halloween kills again because we've both said our piece on it oh, uh, yeah. on different podcasts. So, um, you know, if you, if you want to know what we think of them, go listen to the first episode of Brian's podcast or listen to first time podcast or do the right thing and listen to both. But, uh, I like I said I want to have you on tonight and we discussed um, back and forth on what we should watch and we both sort of talked about things that we like sort of gaps in our horror history like things that we there, there's a lot of little dark corners of horror that I have never really dipped my toe into um, whether it's hammer horror I've slowly started getting into that there's pre-code horror there's all kinds of stuff that I mean the world of horror is never ending the only people that I know that have reached like every corner are once again Brian Clark I feel like I can go to him and always ask him about something um, and he'll probably listen to this episode and yell at me for all the uh, 
misinformation I give or the mispronunciations or things I'm missing. Um, but we love you, Brian Clark. Sorry in advance. Um, but when we were going back and forth, I brought up a few topics and one that sort of struck on you and me that we both haven't seen a whole lot of is uh, Giallo movies. Yeah, and I, I, I have a favorite. So I've dipped my toe in that a little bit, but it's always hard when you check online. You're like, what are good Giallo movies? And you're like, is it? You watch something, then you go back and look at the list, and you're like, really? Is that one? Right. Like there was stuff on the list that I was like, eh, I don't. You know, how did that get put in that category? You know, was it the time? Was it the director? Was it the look? You know, because when you think of these kind of movies, you think Italian, you know, the bright lights, the black gloves, the mysteries. And some of the ones I've seen on the list that I looked up, I'm just like, eh, that doesn't really do it for me. That's not this category. Yeah, well, I've... I've seen a few, mostly because of Attack of the Killer podcast, mm-hmm. and I dipped my toe into like the world of Dario Argento pretty early. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's sort of like a gateway into Italian horror, um, yeah. and he's done some giallo type movies. But like some of the lists I was looking at had uh, Suspiria on there as far as giallo, and I don't I wouldn't consider that giallo. Like it's a mystery, it's Italian, but it doesn't feel like it has all of the ingredients to be an actual giallo film. Yeah, and I I think one of the ones I saw on the list was a movie called Stage Fright. It's mm-hmm. I'm some actors get locked into a you know a playhouse and there's somebody in a an owl costume killing them and I'm just like I I get that he has the black gloves and it's kind of a mystery who's doing that but it just seemed like so much more than that you know and it probably some I'd need to revisit because I really enjoyed the film but just didn't fall in that for me. So I looked up Giallo on Wikipedia, and I'll read a little bit of what it said, because um, there's always been some debate on what constitutes as a Giallo, what doesn't. And I mean, it's just like anything. I know um, Mike Saunders will uh, cringe when I say, you know, it's like the difference between like a horror and a thriller versus Mm -hmm. a slasher. Um, But uh, Wikipedia says Giallo is uh, the word Giallo is Italian for yellow Um, is the Italian term designated mystery fiction and thrillers the term derives from a series of cheap paperback mystery and crime thriller novels with yellow covers that were popular in italy Um, in the context of 20th century literature and film especially among english speakers and non-italians in general giallo refers specifically to a particular italian thriller horror genre that has mystery or detective elements and often contains slasher Crime fiction, psychological thriller, psychological horror, sexploitation, and less frequently supernatural horror elements. Um, so reading through, I'm not going to read off the whole thing, but yes, it eventually gets to this genre developed uh, in the mid to late 60s, peaked in popularity during the 70s, and sub- subsequently declined in commercial mainstream filmmaking over the next few decades, though less prominent examples continue to be produced. Um, so it is actually a um, considered a significant influence and predecessor to the later American slasher film genre. So like you said, um, black leather gloves, um, the point of view from the killer is something that um, I feel like is seen in a lot of these movies. Um, a lot of nudity, bright red mm-hmm. blood, lots of bright colors, um, sort of lush music scores, um, young, beautiful women. 
but I feel like the things you almost have to have are like the point of view, the hands, the slashing, um, and that sort of makes it to me. And that's that's where I'm saying like something like Suspiria, I don't necessarily think counts because it doesn't have a lot of those elements. It's just made by an Italian filmmaker who has done some Giallo films. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a never ending argument. Yeah, a lot of bright colors and Suspiria, but more paranormal, if I remember right. Yeah, know? yeah, more so, witchcraft. Uh, yeah, yeah. That type of stuff. So we, uh, what I actually did when we landed on let's do a Giallo film, I should have just messaged Brian Clark and said, hey, what do you recommend? He would have come up with some really fucking weird, obscure movie that um, would have put us both to sleep. But... I looked up some several lists and I found uh, movies that were on similar or, or on uh, multiple lists and sort of narrowed it down from there. And we checked out what was available on Shutter because I like uh, I, I knew with something more obscure like this, people would want to actually watch it and not just listen to us talk about it. And I knew not a lot of people. I'm guessing not a lot of my listeners are um, really deep into Giallo film, so. Um, the one we ended up coming to is called What Have You Done to Solange? Solange. 
What have you done to Solange? Okay, what have you done to Solange, in case you didn't hear that title seven times in the trailer, uh, was released May 1975, and um, I apologize now, I'm going to brutalize these names because uh, I don't know how to pronounce um, Italian names. So, written by Bruno Di Geronimo and Massimo Delamano, directed by Massimo Delamano. Uh, he happened to be the cinematographer for such films as A Fistful of Dollars and For a Few Dollars More. So he was a spaghetti Western filmmaker. Um, music, beautiful score by Ennio Morricone, who um, one of the most famous film composers of all time. Uh, just a few films off of his resume, John Carpenter's The Thing, Cinema Paradiso, uh, Brian De Palma's The Untouchables, Once Upon a Time in America, Once Upon a Time in the West, A Fistful of Dollars for a Few Dollars More, The Good, the Bad, the Ugly, uh, The Cat and Nine Tails, and The Hateful Eight. What a freaking resume that guy's got. Um, and then we have a interesting cast. We have Fabio Testi as Enrico Rossini from, uh, you might recognize him from the original I Spit on Your Grave. We have Karen Ball as Herta Rossini, his wife. Um, we have Christina Galbo uh, from, uh, she was in Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue. Um, she plays Elizabeth, who is sort of the affair, the uh, mistress in this. Um, we have the debut of actress Camille Keaton as Solange. Um, she was also in I Spit on Your Grave. And then Gunther Stoll as Professor Bascombe. So, man, Brian, this one was an interesting one. Um, it was on a lot of lists as, like, one that's well-respected by um, Giallo uh lovers this is like a infamous film i i started watching it and i was sort of like is this the right movie at first i was sort of like this seems like storybook but um you sort of talked about this earlier it almost like when you watch a slasher now and then you go back and watch halloween you're sort of like this has every trope in it well john carpenter came up with every trope so maybe i'm thinking this was sort of like a blueprint for how to make a giallo film because it has everything like bam 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 all the ingredients um, right in a row on this one. Well, I mean, you open the opening scene in the movie is a bunch of beautiful young women riding bikes on a pink screen. <laughs> yeah. Like right out the gate, the beautiful colors. I mean, within the first two minutes of the movie, you have nudity. I think within the first five minutes, you see black gloves and a murder. I mean, it gets right to it. And then it kind of slows down. It builds a story. But yeah, you get the first... You get everything on the list in the first five, ten minutes of the movie. You know, the mystery, who's the killer, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, right away we have an older guy and a younger girl riding in a boat, um, doing a little hanky-panky, a little, like you said, a little nudity. It like, opens up with some sex. Um, never have I been on a boat and, and wanted to get freaky, but hey, you know, I've never been in uh, Italy either, so what do I know? But well, this is actually set in London. Oh, well, there you go. I haven't, yeah, I haven't yeah. been there either. But yeah, um, yeah. 
they're just sort of uh, slowly going down a lake or something, and she starts getting these visions. And it was a little unclear to me if she was actually seeing them in the woods or she was having these visions. Later, we sort of find out she's actually sort of having these uh, visions of, of what's happening. But, um, you know, I was like, right away, I'm like, okay, this guy's clearly a lot older than this girl. Then we learn later that... Um, it ends up being that she's in spoiler. We're going to spoil it. There's no way to talk about this without spoiling everything. So I, I recommend checking this out on shutter. If, uh, if you want to see it before we, we spoil the big twist, because that's sort of what giallos are. It's a big, uh, we, they throw you a bunch of red herrings. They toss you all over the place. I mean, even the title itself is a mystery because, um, who the fuck is Solange until like the last quarter of the movie. Yeah. You don't hear that name until the last, half hour yeah something like 20 that minutes I yeah mean, i'm so glad i didn't watch a trailer or look up anything and i think we've had this discussion before about trailers i've gotten to the point where i mostly go into movies blind i don't want to watch a trailer i don't want to look anything up about it i may want to know how long it is and what year it was made because if it's over an hour and a half more than likely i'm gonna go with the next movie mm-hmm. but trailers anymore have gotten to the point and i mean maybe even back then it gave you the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, the one we just I listened mean, to, it opens with a major death that is a big twist in the movie. Um, but yeah, there, it's interesting. It opens with that, and um, then we get our first murder right away. Um, but the problem is now that she has seen this murder, but she can't. She she's being convinced not to tell anyone about it because she was doing something she wasn't supposed to be. She was. Uh, making hanky panky with her professor who's married. Um, so told to keep silent about it. Uh, turns out the dead victim was one of her classmates and, uh, was kept, it was killed in a very brutal, disgusting way with a, uh, long knife pushed directly into her, um, her women parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice and brutal. Like you said, black leather glove, um, very shiny chrome fake looking knife uh right where the sun doesn't shine and uh that's not the first that's uh one of many deaths that we see in this and the, the basically the plot of this movie is uh who done it um but this is a little bit more than who done it because like i said they throw us all around with the red herrings um they get us thinking that it might have been um a professor at the school it might have been uh, of course, eventually, um, Enrico, the, our main character, is uh, blamed because, well, he's having an affair with a young girl. And, you know, he he clearly is a sex maniac. That's what they keep saying in the movie. A sex maniac, which, uh, you know, is a bit, I don't know if it was lost in translation or if that's really what they wanted to call him. But it's sort of funny. Well, and he kind of puts himself in a lot of bad situations. You know, he gets his picture taken at the crime scene. He drops his pen at the crime scene. Yep. He just puts himself in a lot of bad positions throughout the movie. Yeah, and this Inspector Barth is sort of onto him. He's, like like you said, when he drops the pen, he brings it to his apartment and and sort of sets it on the table to freak him out. Uh, Yeah. It's it's interesting. Like I said, they do a lot of the uh, fake outs. Like there's scenes, there, there's scenes that end up being nothing but exploitation. Where um, this guy at the school is looking through holes in the walls, watching a girl shower, 
And so you start to think it's him, but that's just sort of to throw us oh, off. Oh, yeah, the guy with the curly kind of balding hair and the yep. crooked teeth and the blue eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It. He didn't make my list because I was like, you know, that's almost too... Too easy? Easy. Yeah. I did the. At first, I was like, you know, maybe it's the wife. But again, too easy. You know, and then I thought, well, maybe it's one of the students that's a jealous student because this girl's having an affair or the other girls are having an affair with this teacher and she really wants him. Um, and then, you know, they get further in and they start talking about the priest. So I was like, well, maybe it's the father, Father Weber. You know, the typical, and I think you've talked about this before, I am awful about figuring out who did it and what <laughs> yeah. these movies are about. And I will go, I'll watch movies and then I'll go online to see what the thing was about because I have no clue what I just watched. You know, like, so I kind of like these movies for that because I almost torture myself because I'm trying to figure out who did it this whole movie. And it gets to the end and I'm like, well, I didn't guess that person. Here's, you know, chalk it up to another loss for me. Well, I guess we'll just uh, like I said, if you're if you've gotten this far, 25 uh, minutes into it and uh, you're OK, you know that they're spoilers. Um, we'll just jump right to it. It's It's interesting. And I think almost a cheat that we end up finally finding out who this is. And there was no way for us to figure this out on our own because it's not someone we even met in this movie until the very end. Um, I've always think that's sort of a cop out because I know that these movies you're supposed to be the whole time. Like, like you said, I'm, I'm an idiot. I never see the twist coming. Um, but this one, there was no way to see it coming because we've never seen that. They don't introduce this guy until the very end. Um, and, and once again, like we mentioned earlier, we don't even hear the name. We don't understand what Solange is like who, why she's important to the story, what her role is in this, in this movie until the very end of the movie too. But I still really liked it overall. I thought, mm -hmm. um, it was very well done. I mean, I just love, uh, anything Enio score. So if, if nothing else, when I saw his name pop up on the credits, I was like, if nothing else, I'm going to love the music. Um, but I thought the performances overall were really good. Um, and, and one criticism I always have of Italian movies is that they're sometimes really, really hard to follow or sometimes just impossible to follow. Like they don't have a story to follow. So there's, it's just really confusing, but at least this one had, a plot I, I i too had to sort of go online and see if i missed anything um but it was pretty straightforward for an italian movie i would say oh yeah they tie it up in a real nice bow towards the end and if you watched it again you would catch all the things that you missed in the first one you know um there's a murder that happens at i think the lady's name is helen's house who she's tied in towards the end um, and she says to the officer, why here? Why, why did he do it here? I have something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And you go back and you watch it again and you're like, oh, I get it now. Like she's tied into this. So, you know, the girl that was kidnapped and murdered, he brought her there for a reason. Mm -hmm. The killer brought her there for a reason. You know, so it ties, that ties into it. So we, we after the first kill, we get another girl um, that's also a college student is murdered. And then shortly afterwards is the big one that I was talking about uh, in the trailer. 
um, right away, uh, the the mistress. Um, trying to remember her name. I have it right here. Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth is murdered in her bathroom. She's taking a bath, mm. and the killer comes in and he drowns her. Um, which is like you know an old school kind of kill. There's nothing too like flashy about these kills. I mean, yeah, knife up the vagina is pretty gnarly, but there's not like any beheadings or any crazy stuff. And that's sort of what's cool about like Giallo movies too, is that they're believable. Like, it's not like Michael, you know, Michael Myers killing 11 firefighters with random weapons. Um, this, this is really a guy who would break in the house and use his hands. Um, so he murders the mistress. And what I thought was sort of funny after this was um, basically the professor has to come out and say, like, yeah, I was cheating on my wife with her um, and now she's dead. And so then, like, the professor and his wife team up to find out who the killer is like, dude, she I mean, she found out like it, it was like almost like the the. um death of his mistress like brought them back together brought them back together it's sort of weird and uncomfortable (laughs) yeah so hopefully if you're having an affair on your wife and you want to repair your marriage your girlfriend will get murdered you can team up (laughs) and go solve the case skip marriage counseling just go right to that yeah yeah, it's the police. Like he goes to police because they suspect him, and so he admits to his affair and is sexually repressed to his sexually repressed wife, um, who's clearly throughout the whole movie just sort of hating on him, uh, in hopes of getting her assistance in order to clear his name. Um, and it actually works. Uh, the professor is cleared when a common denominator is determined by the later killing. So he sort of gets out of. Uh, the the red he's not he's no longer a suspect um as the victims had all been seen a local priest and were friends with a young woman named solange um and they all who had been attending the school the previous semester but mysteriously vanished so now the next thing is they're trying to find solange so him and his wife like you said are super detective excuse me team of um cheating husband and sexually frustrated wife that they're now friends. It's really that scene where she like pulls up in the car and honks at him. Like you old, you, you silly (laughs) Billy get in the car. It's like, it's just like so weird because her disdain for him throughout the first part of the movie. I mean, she's given him like the death eyes, the whole movie, um, talking mad shit on him. Oh yeah. Talking about, uh, he was doing something with, uh, Italian or German and, you know, she's like giving him all these, you know, pokes with the stick. Like, you are a piece of trash. I hate you. You know, like, you think I'm the worst wife ever, but I know what you're doing. You know. And what's really it's weird. not a healthy relationship. No, no. What's really weird is I think the turning point was when, like, the detective is having to talk with them. And he's like, if it's any any um i don't even know what you'd say what he ends up saying if it's any relief um she was a virgin when she died yeah she finds out that the girl was a virgin and suddenly everything was okay because they didn't have sex they just did about every other thing in the book probably right it's like don't worry we didn't have um, meaningless sex we had a deep relationship so it's okay yeah yeah. (laughs) but um this is where it sort of flips the switch and, and they start looking for solange um, so they find this secret club of college girls, um, 
that his mistress was part of, um, and they find out that several of the other murder victims also belong to this uh, secret club of college girls. Um, They learned that the priest had, uh, that several of the victims had spoken to was not a real priest. He was actually Solange's father, a wealthy tenured professor at the same school. Mm -hmm. I believe, was it Elizabeth was his girlfriend? I believe they kind of talked her as not being part of the group. Okay. Not because she was a virgin, so she wasn't really, um, she was friends with them and maybe friends with Salon, but not part of the actual group. Um, you know, it was Hilda, Janet, um, God, I wrote their names down, but there was four or five girls. And she wasn't actually part of that group. So she just got um, a little too close to it with, uh, yeah. like, she, because she was the one that the, the police, like, she was the only real um, witness to the witness, crimes. Right. Yeah. She, yeah. She was the one that sort of led them saying, like, he was wearing a black smock. Um, it could have been a priest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and he's going after these girls. Like, she was the only insight to any of this. So, of course, she's going to get killed because... Um, yeah, she's out there telling the, the telling the story, um, and she was part of the revenge factor. She was part of the group that was in with what happened to Solange. Um, she was there when it happened. Right. And we come to find out that she tried to stop Solange from doing what her father, um, the killer, is upset about, but she was part of it. So. I don't know if that's the part that got her killed or the knowing that got her killed. Or a know. little bit of both. A little bit of both, yeah. So um, eventually Ruth, uh, the elderly maid of Brenda, one of Solange's classmates um, who was also involved in the sex parties, uh, she's found along with her dog viciously murdered. Mm-hmm. And she has a shovel rammed into her vagina. Pretty gnarly. Yeah. Uh, this This dude is not fucking around. Um, so the professor, his wife and the police, uh, go to visit Solange's father after asking, he he goes around campus and basically is just asking every single girl, like, you know, who's Solange, where can I find her? What happened Mm -hmm. to her? And everybody's being quiet, quiet, like hush, hush. Uh, there's a scene where they're at a funeral and he's asking the girls and someone, like, I think it was, uh, the priest or someone comes up and is like, stop talking to the young girls like you're you know you, you're off the hook but like you still were fucking around with one of your students so maybe stay away from them and don't like be don't don't look uh sketchy dude around yeah these don't girls. look i think he says don't look like a sex maniac or something <laughs> along those lines if you keep talking to the girls you're gonna they're gonna think you're a sex maniac <laughs> which i mean he he's put himself in that spot uh to be fair um yeah, because early, like way at the beginning of the film, he he basically shows up to this meeting late and he's lying. He's like, I had car troubles. Uh, he he's doing everything to basically say I wasn't with this girl. And if it gets to that point where he he can't deny it and actually admitting to it is better than admitting to be. It's either okay, I'm a uh, I'm a cheater, or I could possibly be the killer. Okay, I cheated. You know, and it never gets to the point where it's like okay. These are young girls. Are they underage girls? Are right. They, like, All it's is a forgiven. Catholic school. Yeah. Like, so are they, like, high school age, and he's, like, with a minor? Or are they, like, is this, it's in England. I don't know how their school system works. Is this, like, 
a Catholic college and it's okay, this girl. Like, you're not the killer. We'll forgive that you were with this young girl now that you're not the killer. Right. It's like, like you, did, you didn't murder anyone, then you're fine. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah, you're, you're off the hook. So they eventually, after after asking all around, f- trying to find this mysterious character, Solange, who, you know, is in the title, um, they finally confront the dad and he uh, denies any wrongdoing. Um, and that's when we first see Solange. She sort of appears at their at his place at their house. And uh, she clearly is something's up with her. She's um, sort of out of it, just sort of like a zombie, like mm-hmm. almost uh, mute. Uh, seems disturbed, like uh, something's going on. Um, but she ends up leading the professor's wife to the place where the final sex club member was kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a lot of flashbacks as to, like in black and white, they do these black and white flashbacks, where, which were some of like the most disturbing scenes in this movie, um, where we learn about the sex club, and we learn that Solange was in this club and actually... Um, gets pregnant and she has a horrible at home abortion with a giant needle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, that's probably like, you know, we, they don't, they, some of the murders or most of the murders are off, off scene, off screen, but this one, like they actually show the, the, um, abortion scene and it's a little, mm-hmm. uh, unnerving, I would say. We actually see salon. Do you remember when the married couple, they're in the park um, and he, you hear like a plane go overhead and he looks up and he sees a girl above him and they kind of, Oh, in the park. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then she runs away and the maid says, Oh, Solange, you silly girl. Yeah. Come back with me or something. Yeah. yeah come yeah. back with me. And then we see her again when the, um, in the park, the amusement park, she lures the one girl away that's kidnapped. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she. They're on the slowest moving carousel ever. <laughs> I know carousels don't move very fast, but this girl like jumps on the, like steps on the carousel. She was like, hey, what are you doing? Remember me? I haven't seen you for a while. Where you been? You know, like, sorry, we got you that abortion and it drove you insane. But hey, you want to hang out? Right. Like, yeah. And then she takes her and they go past all. In the third act, I almost thought this is kind of a comedy. Like they <laughs> flipped the script. Like. When they come in and they cut his hair when he's at the police station. Oh, yeah. He just has, like, this bewildered look on it. And you're like, what is going on? And then they get the guy. I don't know this guy's... When Elizabeth is killed, it's not at her house. It's at, like, an apartment that... That they meet up in. That they meet up in. But I think it's, like, his friend's apartment. Because the guy comes as the killer's leaving. Mm Mm-hmm. He's getting back from getting groceries, and the killer goes past him. Um, and then, for some reason, the cops wait like a day, and then they go pick him up. And when they like ring the bell, he's like, "Oh, I figured you guys would show up." And they take him and they put him in front of all these priests, not even like behind glass, just like in front of all these different priests. And he's like. I don't know if it was a Jewish or they all wear habits. I don't know. Yeah. And he kind of loses his shit. And then on his way home, they let him go. And it's broad daylight. He's like, how am I going to find a cab at this time? How am I going to get a ride? And it's like, it's daytime. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like, it's the middle of the day. Like, And then he's walking. He's like, if I ever see a priest again, I'm going to. And then a priest comes by. 
and he like he doesn't know what to do yeah wall. he's terrified yeah, he's like scared and he runs off and i'm like there's like a 15 20 minute in the middle of the third act or you know end of the second where it's like this is like comical yeah i don't know if it was you intentional know, like, or not but it definitely <laughs> has like a weird uh set like a, a a whole different tonal change with that, oh, and, that whole character yeah when they're in the park and the, all the police are there and they're trying to you know watch the girls at the amusement park and then they go into like a actual like park um all these cops are undercover and the one cop walks by and he's like salutes the other cop and the cop's like don't fucking salute me idiot like what is going on here <laughs> like what is happening in this movie yeah because there was not like one hint of humor at all no. and and i still like i said i wasn't sure if it seemed like it was supposed to be funny but do you think it was intentional humor or um just sort of like over the top acting and some some weird scenes sort of make us laugh because we're not used to their way of filmmaking well, I kind of caught it early on in the movie when they that dad asked the police officer, the lieutenant or sergeant, whatever he is, was she raped? And he says no, and he has the other officer come in and take the wife, and he takes him to the room, and he puts this x-ray up, and it's this huge long knife, and you can see it with the bones and everything and where it's going, and I'm like, what? Really? What is this guy? <laughs> You really can't you just say no, but she was assaulted with a weapon, right? You know, female parts. You have to really show the dad the knife and the female parts. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, another. It's like they couldn't like couldn't uh, stop themselves from showing it again on screen or something. Yeah, yeah. It was really weird. Um, and like I said, the twist at the end that it ends up being Solange's dad is, it felt mm-hmm. like sort of a, a cop out because I know he was, you know, uh, the leader of this sort of sex cult and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he was pretending to be a priest or whatever, but it just felt like, you know, and I, I, I like, again, I don't want to just nitpick on a movie cause I did enjoy mm-hmm. it. Um, but it just felt sort of like a cheap cop out where I'm like, okay, there was no way we would have known who this was because we didn't really know this character until now. Well, and none of the people that work at the school really, I mean, no, it was like the our main first character time. didn't know him. Yeah, we met him at the same time yeah. uh, when they show up at the house and, and you know, they're, they're chatting with him and obviously something's up. He's very nervous uh, and Solange is just sort of zombieing it up around the mm-hmm. house which the first time we saw her i'm glad you brought that up like when they're laying in the park on their backs and she sort of stands in their in their way of the sun mm-hmm. it was almost like a walking dead moment she had like the long yeah. hair in her face and she's looking down i was like is this a, is this going to turn into a zombie thing for a second i was a little bit like taken back and then it was just sort of like oh no she's a crazy person and then mm-hmm. when when the maid said her name i was like okay here's where we get our connection finally get to meet solange and get and figure this out uh, and, and how she fits into the story with, with the title being her name and, and them saying it uh, 20 times in the trailer. In the trailer, yeah. And she is his daughter, like his stepdaughter, maybe? I I kind of missed that part of it. They said his, her mother is married or, you know, something along those lines. So I'm like, was it like an, an affair thing or how does this girl tie into this story because she had a different last name than the um, professor. So Enrique, is that the guy's name? Didn't know he even had a daughter. Right. I mean, maybe just the head 
of the school knew. She was only there. She had the um, abortion. It, you know, maybe some PTSD. Um, something happened where it caused her some mental problems. So he kept her home, away from everybody. So no one really knew about her. Yeah, I mean, we we see a lot of horror movies and and dramas where you know a father or a parent sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, not always on their doing but you know they try to protect their kids and this is more him protecting himself after a horrible (laughs) horrible incident um you know more of a series of incidents uh when his daughter gets pregnant in a sex cult orgy Mm -hmm. party thing and then they have to give her a home abortion um Mm -hmm. so it's like yeah we'll just keep her home and just none of this gets out but then when obviously he starts murdering people um it all leads back to him. And, uh, and then in another big twist after confessing to the murders, we hear a gunshot. They run back. The wife runs back to see what happened. And, uh, the dad took his own life, shot himself in the head. Uh, at some point he realizes that an abortion was what led to Solange becoming invalid and, um, mm-hmm. performed a similar deed on the girls. So I, I sort of, after that i'm like okay now i get why he's stabbing girls and using shovels in the vagina because that's what happened to his daughter and that's what sort of took his daughter from him yeah i think at one point uh the sergeant the police officer said solange was destroyed by a knife so kind of your tie into why he's stabbing everybody in the female parts you know that was what hindered her life as he felt you know so it's what is going to end their lives. Yeah. And it's, I mean, pretty fucked up. I mean, to like, you know, my daughter had a life altering abortion, so I'm just going to stab women. there. uh, pretty brutal. Never something that they would even come close to touching these days. But, um, like I said, this, this movie is one of the top regarded giallo films, um, I'm guessing from the performances and the music and, and story-wise. Uh, I don't know. I, it, it's always good to dip my toe in. I don't think um, giallos are my favorite genre in any way. I, I, it's not my top ten even, maybe. Um, they're fun, but it's not something I would uh, continue watching. You know, We're recording this at the beginning of November, right after Halloween. Um, these, these movies don't really, like giallos don't put me in the the spooky mood like i would rather watch like a, a bright bold dario argento weird ass italian movie or a, a lucio fulci like zombie like creepy uh you know something like that more so than a, a giallo yeah it's not something that you especially this one it's not lighthearted. i mean you when you get to then you kind of like okay so your daughter was in a sex club probably because you were too busy or something along those lines. Um, She got in with the wrong crowd. She got pregnant. She had an abortion that caused her to have some mental issues. And her one parent just committed suicide. Yeah. You know, like, that's that's, like really heavy. Come on. No, no happy ending at all. No, no. I mean, the, I mean, the couple's back together and they're doing well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah that's about i mean the the police solved the case i mean you know but and, and no he, he's not killing any more people because he's dead yeah, now i guess yeah. i mean the one girl that was maybe the ling- ringleader of everything the one that didn't die at the end um 
yeah. she's still alive. So, I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard to draw a happy ending out of this movie. You know, it's just not a happy <laughs> the, ending. The The whole moral, I guess, is like, like you sort of said earlier, it's like, you know, if you and your wife are in a rough patch, you know, find a student. If you're a teacher, find a student. Um, hook up with her, but don't go all the way. And then let uh, a maniac murder her and solve the solve the mystery with your mm-hmm. um, now recently happy again wife, and you guys will yeah. be good. It's like better than marriage counseling. Oh yeah, probably cheaper too. Oh, it has I mean, to be. They didn't yeah. have to get an attorney or anything. And it was and... it was interesting because he's a teacher, she's a teacher, and suddenly they're detectives. But um, you know the the cops weren't necessarily any better at solving this than he was. And that's sort of what's fun about these murder mysteries is putting normal people on the case and we're sort of along for the ride with them. And that tends to, from the ones I've watched, that tends to happen. Always the normal people get dragged into the story and are helping the police or solving the crime, you know, because more often than not, the main character is who the police think did it, and it's not really him right? or her. In these movies, it's almost always a him, you know, yep. sat back then. So they have to solve the crime to clear their name, you know. What other uh, giallos have you sort of seen or like, or, or is this sort of like your your big first dip into it? No, my favorite is, um, I think it's called Tenenbra. Tenenbra? Yeah, it's a Dario Argento, um, right? Yeah, it's an Argento, and it's got John Saxon in it. Um, it's about a guy that's a author, and he goes overseas for like a book tour, and people around him just start getting murdered. You know, so he's got to figure out who's doing it, and it's black gloves. You know, young women, lots of nudity, um, but a twist again at the end, and that's probably my favorite. Um, you know, they tend to be over an hour and a half, you know, <laughs> two hours. And and um, when we were we were talking about which one to watch, too, I was I, I will admit it was my choice. I was like it was between two of them. And this was the one that was dubbed um, mm-hmm. rather than subbed. And I was like, I'm going to be watching this late Monday night. Um, I'm going to th- go for the one subbed. And, and it was considered more of a traditional like this to me. is It sounds like big giallo experts consider this one like an essential um sort of film in that genre like it it has everything but it's not um it doesn't veer off to the side much it has sort of every ingredient you really need and it's it's pretty straightforward um so when like i said when we were picking i was like okay this one's dubbed let's watch that um but i don't mind subtitles at all i just knew that um like you said over an hour and a half this is at one forty six, I think, about an hour and forty five, forty six yeah. minutes. Uh, One hundred and three minutes. So, 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 not too bad. Um, still a little bit longer, but um, I just, I mean, this podcast is sort of meant to get me and my guests um a little more educated in genres or films that they haven't seen. So I was like, giallos are definitely something I need to get more educated in like i need to watch more and learn more about them uh and like i said i've I've mostly stick to the big mario bava um dario argento and fulci for um italian horror so i'm, I'm glad i sort of went off the beaten path and, and chose something new yeah and if you're looking for something that's i mean it's deep but 
it's you know you're not getting a lot of blood and guts you are getting some nudity um it looks pretty i mean it looks nice on the screen yes very nice cinematography which was yeah which was interesting when i looked it up i was like you know oh this this director um was a cinematographer first and and he was still shooting films like as a cinematographer up until he i think i read he died at the age of like 59 in a horrible car accident which is too bad he was his life was cut short um but i was surprised he did these spaghetti westerns um but it <laughs> makes sense like a lot of these um filmmakers sort of cross genres uh but it's really cool to hear that he worked with like you know these big names like clint eastwood mm-hmm. and did, yeah, did these yeah. he shot these so it, it didn't surprise me that it was a gorgeous looking film and yeah. again, uh, the music is is just fantastic. Yeah, the music's yeah, the music's amazing. So, and it's not boring. No, it's actually I mean the, the pacing's pretty good. Yeah, I mean if, and I think I've heard you say this several times. You can be anything. Just don't be boring. Yep. Yeah, you can have bad acting. There's a couple spots in the movie where you know you have the typical overacting, um, but it's not boring. And it's not bad. Story's good. Um, I'd watch it again. Yeah. I would recommend it to someone. I'd say, oh, you want to watch something? Watch this. It's, yeah. I enjoyed it. I'd recommend you know? it as sort of an intro to uh, Giallo's to see if you mm. like this kind of thing. Like, yeah. it, it's interesting. I know a lot of people, they, they don't make a whole lot of mysteries. I mean, they're sort of making a comeback with, like, Knives Out uh, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, which is cool, um, that they're, they're sort of making it, but it's, it's sort of a cool, like mix up of, um, you know, slasher and mystery. I just actually saw a movie that, um, like you, you mentioned earlier, sort of the regular person on the case. I, I just got back tonight from seeing, um, the brand new movie antlers and it sort of has, mm. has that vibe to it, which is really cool. Um, but you, you just don't see a lot of whodunits anymore. They're, they're more rare and, you know, you have to get like a director and writer that that uh, studio will really trusts to do something. And um, ha- have you seen the editor? It's like, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That that yep. movie is so much fun because it's basically mm-hmm. a parody of, uh, yeah, of these movies of giallos and Italian slashers. And mm-hmm. and yeah. it, that one's a little more convoluted, I felt like, than this one. Yeah, there was points that I'm like, what what's going on here? <laughs> I mean, this is pretty straightforward. I mean, other than withholding a lot of the information till the end. Right. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, yeah. I think if you're a fan of 80s slashers. This is a nice go backwards point from that, because there's a lot of the 80s slashers that's in these movies. Right. You know, we talk about. You know, Halloween being the precursor, but if you go back and look at these things, you got pretty much everything that's in an eighty slasher in these movies from Italy. Right. This is three years before Halloween, and and Carpenter cites Black Christmas as his like mm-hmm. biggest inspiration for yeah. uh, Halloween, but it definitely borrows stuff from this. I mean, that whole opening scene from the point of view in Black Christmas was probably borrowed from this. You know, it's yeah, like. Yeah. Or not necessarily this, but this genre. Like they weren't the first ones to shoot a scene. He might Carpenter was like sort of the big first uh, American filmmaker to do the Panaglide camera. So it went that long shot through the house, and and as little Michael, you know, killed his sister. But um, mm-hmm. it's definitely you know these these early Italian movies uh, definitely had some influence on that. And 
Um, it, it makes sense because uh, Carpenter's known to be a huge Western fan. And as a, again, mm-hmm. we, we have a lot of crossover um, between these uh, giallos and spaghetti Westerns. Yeah, the death in the bathtub is seen, I think, only from the killer's point of view. It's, right. You know, locking the door, opening it, sneaking around to the bathroom, you know, kind of stepping in and then, oh, she's looking back, I can't go in. And the whole murder is from the killer's point of view. Yeah, very voyeuristic, which is cool. Yeah. Well, I have a little bit of trivia, but um, we'll take a quick break to hear from the Prescribed Film Podcast Network, and then we'll come back with that. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So I was pretty surprised um, with a movie that sort of has this reputation. It didn't have a whole lot of trivia on IMDb, but um, there was some interesting stuff. Um, the first thing is uh, mindful of the American aversion to dubbed foreign films. Again, there's me. Um, the production team decided that the shooting would be exclusively made in English language, despite the accent of the actors. Um, consequently, the English looping coincided so well with the lip movements of the actors that no one in the U.S. noticed that the film was dubbed. So uh, when I was watching like clips and trailers on YouTube earlier, um, I found I ran across a lot of Italian trailers um, that were all, uh, you know, uh, overdubbed or or subbed. And I know that Arrow has like a special edition Blu-ray of this, and I think it has um, different versions of the movie. I think not just subbed and dubbed, but there might be different cuts of this, which wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I think the Arrow was released in 2015. Um... And it's weird, it's a German and Italian co-production set in England. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, okay, you, you had two <laughs> countries to film in, you, and you did, yeah, and you to chose set the... it in England with Italian actors. Yeah. It, that's kind of an odd, but I mean, it, if it is held to such high regard, it worked, I mean... Yeah, it's it's always interesting with these, you know, some of them like I'm trying to remember which one I recently watched. Maybe it was uh, Demons I made the Brett and Tony guys watch for their mm-hmm. podcast. And it was like the first time I saw that, you know, it's one of my fa- it's probably my favorite like uh, Italian, I guess, sort of Italian horror movie. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the the dubbing like half the time it looks like they're speaking English. Half the time it looks like English overdubs is confusing. But it's like in a lot of these movies, they just have they speak half in this and half in that it's just very um some of the actors are speaking italian some are speaking english some are it's just i can't imagine it's it's also confusing to me and i know uh insane mike if he's made it an hour into this he's he's yelling at the screen telling me why this is i i bring it up like every time i talk about an italian movie but uh it's always so weird because even when like some of this like you said that that piece of trivia they're moving their mouths and it looks like they're speaking english but it doesn't it's something's off about it where it doesn't seem like their voice 
Um, but that's sort of part of the charm with these Italian movies is that like weird dubbing is always, uh, it's, it's just like a comforting thing for me for some reason. Yeah. It's a, and sometimes you'll put the subs on cause I'm one of those people that watches everything with subtitles on and you're like, they didn't just say what was on the subtitle <laughs> or they'll say something. And you're like, that doesn't fit here. Like, what did they really what say? are they saying yeah you know, like it doesn't translate into english like it should well i, I you know, but a I, lot of times there's not a word for that right in our language or in their language and i haven't watched it yet but i think you have at least some of uh, squid game yeah yeah i've heard that watching it with subs versus dubs it almost tells a not quite a different story but the translation is very different um People were noticing that, like, the way people, the, the way the interpreters, the way the uh, people that um, are overdubbing sort of change what is actually being said. Like, they're almost, um, and, and, you know, there's differences in language. The way uh, we say certain things makes sense. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, uh, we, we have a horrible language for a word meaning five different things exactly yeah and you know, or 10 different things right and different spellings of it yeah yep um despite a prominent co-star starring billing camille keaton who plays the title character of solange has no dialogue in the film so you know she's right in the title but she doesn't have a single word of dialogue in the movie not surprising for what she's been through but interesting yeah that's nothing yeah she doesn't say anything not even really any mannerisms. I mean, towards the end, she's kind of chewing on her finger. But other than that, she's just kind of stone-faced and kind of looking off into nowhere most of the movie. Well, yeah. The most of the movie that she's in. I mean, she's right. not in a lot of the movie. And then the last bit of trivia I had was um, when asked how she was cast for this film, Camille Keaton said during an interview, well, I met this gentleman on a flight and he started talking to me. He told me that he was an Italian director and his name was Massimo Della Mano. Then I went into the Italian, then I went to, into the Italian director Zaffarelli's office to take some photographs. I later received a call from the director on the flight who had done a film called the portrait of Dorian Gray. He had seen the photographs I had taken before and he said he wanted me to be the main character Solange in the film. Um, in the film, what have you done to Solange? He had directed plenty of Giallo films. You know, it was just luck. I'm still proud of the film and it's huge success. So she's pretty proud of the movie, even though she didn't have any lines of dialogue. I mean, I guess it's sort of nice to be like, I'm, I'm Solange and the movie's called, um, what have you done to Solange? And you don't even have to say any words and you know, you get, you get top billing pretty, pretty good day on the job. I'd say. And she probably only worked one day because she was not in a lot of the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, just be here on Tuesday next week. We'll film your part. And then for the next eight weeks, we'll finish the movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm surprised. Like I said, there wasn't a whole lot of trivia out there. Um, I started to look at what like the arrow Blu-ray has, and it has all kinds of special features like yeah, yep. commentaries and um, video essays and all this stuff. So I'll probably have to seek out that disc. I'm sure you'll buy it on the next arrow sale too. Yeah. I don't have that one. So surprised. I'll have to check that one out. Um, I think the only trivia I found was I was like, what does Solange mean? Because I, I didn't know who this person was, if it was even a person. And I found that it's actually a female name, and it means religion. 
or religious. Huh. Um, in some languages. So I was like, did they pick that name because it ties into, you know, it being a Catholic school and the religious and the priest? Um, or was it just, you know, a coincidence? That yeah, that's what they picked for the name. I'm sure it was influenced somehow. I mean, yeah, it seems intentional Too too uh, good not to be. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what ha- what have you done to Solange? That was uh, I'm glad that I got into another Giallo film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, October ends, uh, but the horror doesn't stop for guys like us. It's just it's always Halloween. It's just now they're not on TV anymore. Now we have to go to all of our streaming service or our physical media collection. But um let the listeners know where they can find the I Like It Spooky podcast. Well, we're on everywhere that you can listen to podcasts, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Apple, Pocket Podcast. Um, we're on Instagram and Facebook, um, I Like It Spooky Podcast, and on Twitter at I Like It underscore Spooky. Um, so we're kind of everywhere. And it's been a lot of work for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so are you the guy that's in charge of doing all that? Yeah, I'm the guy that's in charge of the social media stuff. Um, Lewis and I kind of split editing. I was lucky that I got to edit the second episode that comes out Sunday, and it was only like 35 minutes long. So I'm like, perfect. I can edit 35 minutes. And it wasn't that bad. Yeah, I got to give big shout out to Jason Bollinger, a mm-hmm. mutual friend of ours. He is a workhorse. Not only does he edit the like two and a half hour um, Attack of the Killer podcast episodes, he runs 99% of the social uh, media stuff. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, one of us will pop in, but not very often. Um, he's always the one updating uh, the Patreon. He's sort of the man behind the 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 uh, curtain doing everything. And he has another podcast that he does a lot of work on too with Cracktastic plastic. So, um, when I started doing this podcast, I was like, Holy shit, Jason does this like, but way more. And oh, uh, yeah, yeah. it's, it's interesting. I mean, we could even, we could have even done a first time podcast podcast episode about uh, podcasting. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's, I think people think that, you know, uh, that don't ever do one. Like I know I certainly thought it would be easier. And then when you find out to get everything published on all these um, platforms, you have to, you know, tag your file and you have to edit and save it in a certain Mm -hmm. format and put it on the feed and find out who could host it. And um, yeah, it's, it's a little harder than most people think to put out a quality, a quality podcast. And uh, so I know it's, you know, like I said, it's a lot of work and I'm glad that you started, started one yourself because, uh, now I have another one to listen to. I get to hear your voice. Uh, and yours is going to be bi-weekly. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at every Sunday, every other Sunday releasing, which I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm jealous that you committed to every other week because I should have done that at the beginning. And now I'm like, well, crap, I can't go back that I've committed to once a week. now. You can't go backwards now, but that's, you know, it's been fun. And like I said, uh, it's been, I've been trying to get out and get some different guests. And as and mm-hmm. soon as I saw you had a podcast, I was like, oh, perfect opportunity to force him on mine. And and you won't have to edit this one. So that's the good no, news, right? No, no, I don't have to. Well, I will put put it on social. I mean, yeah, I will do that because it helps me get out and it helps you get, you know, people to listen. Yeah, because you're you're one of like the biggest supporters of all thing horror. Um, 
whether it's an indie horror film up and coming, looking for some funding, or it's just someone on on Twitter looking for a share. Um, you've you've done like different fundraisers using the horror community, mm-hmm. um, raising raising funds for different charities. Um, yeah, yeah, just awesome stuff. And and you've used that great horror family like sense of community that we talk about. You know, the mutant fam and everything. Like, yeah, yeah, use it to for good things, which is just awesome. Which is like you know one of the reasons we love you and and think you're. Yeah. you know you're just an awesome dude so uh if do you want people to uh check you check out your personal accounts uh because i know you're on twitter quite often on your own personal oh yeah twitter. i'm on personal uh i believe it's at gsil 84 so g-s-i-l 84 i'm on twitter i post pretty much about scary movies that i've watched um and some pictures of a three-year-old little girl that i have Adorable. that's about it that's yeah. on my twitter yeah yeah, it's it's good stuff. It's always a lot of fun, and like you said, anytime like a, a the last drive-ins on, it's always a fun time on on Twitter. And um, you know, I'm just glad that we have everything sort of slowly getting back to normal, mm-hmm. um, seeing each other again, and and getting to be in the same room and hang out and and talk movies and yeah, and consume all things movies. I get to come to Burlington on the 19th. I've taken the day off, so I'm gonna hang out with a. Uh... Finley, my three-year-old, during the day, and then when her mom gets home, I'm gonna head over to Burlington and have some dinner, and then come to the Capitol for uh, your birthday. Yeah, and should... some movies. Yes, hopefully should... that I haven't seen before. Yeah, I, 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 like I said, I, I don't know at this point, but I have a week or so, or two weeks, so mm-hmm. um, we'll see what happens. So uh, again, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's always great talking to you, Brian. And like I said, go out and and check out his podcast. I'll put it in all the. Uh, the tags on the page go check out the show notes uh to go listen to uh, the first two episodes of i like it spooky thanks again for listening to today's episode if you enjoy the show please leave a review on apple podcasts a special thank you goes out to my friend scott schreiner for our intro and outro music we'll see you next week on first time podcast <laughs>